So I'm here with two guests. I'm here with David Ruff and Katie Thompson. David is the executive director of Great Schools Partnership. And Katie is a senior associate at Great Schools Partnership. Welcome. Thank you, man. Welcome. So what is it that you guys do? And explain your roles a little bit. So I'm Katie. Um, so at Great Schools Partnership, we work as school coaches. We work with schools on continuous improvement initiatives, and we work with many schools on implementing proficiency-based learning, competency-based learning, or mastery-based learning. Um, I would add to that, um, so we do do a lot of work with schools and districts. We also try to help state education agencies deal with policy, and we're also reaching out into the community for engagement so that parents, school board members, business leaders understand what this work could be and the implications of it. So one of, the, one of the themes that we've seen and heard from is a lot about community engagement, especially. That's one of, that's one of like the next steps for, for this type of, of personalized learning and learner-centered learning. So can you explain a little bit more about that, about how, that, how, about how you do that with schools? Sure. Um, l let me start in a slightly different spot sure. with, with the notion that um, as we move to personalized learning for all kids, it's inevitably going to have more learning outside of school, out in the community, out in the, the lives of kids that, they, that exist outside of the school building. And so as a result of that, it's going to engage uh, the community more strictly because they're going to be interacting with them directly. We think it makes sense to be proactive in that and actually invite the community in, get them to share their ideas, get them to add their ideas, get them to provide opportunities for kids, as opposed to it being after the fact when kids have been struggling to get there. We want to be clear, it's not about um, marketing. And so it's not about going out to the community and phrasing this in the right way that they say, oh, we agree with that so much. We do want agreement on these ideas, but it's more we understand and we have advice, we have insight, we have ideas of how to make this a better learning experience for kids. So to do that, um, we, our coaches go into schools, go into districts, they'll set up community um, forums where people are, you get parents, get non-parents, which are most of our taxpayers, you get business leaders to come in, share the work that's going on, uh, bring forth some dilemmas they're dealing with, brainstorm solutions, uh, all this business. So what are, um, because I know you work um, in many New England schools, but you also work in schools around the country too, mm -hmm. right? So what are some of um, the commonalities that you see in the, the kinds of discussions you have with um, communities that are beginning to implement or are further along implementing uh, competency-based or learner-centered practices um, in general? Well, Courtney, I would say that um, so our deepest level of work in our community engagement is still in New England. Yeah. Um, and so we're now working in another seven states outside of New England, um, working with schools and districts there. Um, and so, I mean, I think the piece that rings through on all of this is, I mean, there's an incredible commitment in America to the betterment of kids. I mean, I think there are times when I look at it and I see policies that I don't think are supportive of all kids. I think there are times where there are financial commitments that aren't what I would want them to be. But on a case-by-case -case basis, I think people believe that there's a value in education. Right. I mean, when you think about it, as much as we um, would like more funding to go into it, it's a 
huge uh, public financial commitment that's made in every community. Yeah. And so I think if you go out to the community and you talk to people about the value of it, how they can become involved in it, how they can become engaged in it, they'll respond positively. I mean, I it's think, a little Pollyanna-ish, but I think I think one of the other things is, um, in addition to making sure it's not being framed as a marketing strategy or something like right. that, is that students and teachers are also part of that community. And so really harnessing the voices of the people who are in the learning yeah. to make sure that they have they play a crucial part in how it's designed. You know, I think that that creates those more engaging learning environments for students. So you said something earlier about working with policy also and how you're finding policies in states that really, or not, I'm not sure about states or districts, but that really don't support personalized learning. So how does that, how do, how do those policies, how, how does that discussion happen? That how, do, how does that start? Uh, you said going out in the communities, you're not there to convince, you're not there to, to market, you're there to have a discussion about what we want our schools to be like. So uh, from a policy end where, where that part happens, I, I always wonder about how those discussions start. And, and how that works for you guys. Yeah, so Matt, there's actually, there's two levels there. It's, and it's, I would argue it's a little bit different if you're working at a state policy level or district policy level. Okay. Um, the thing that's common, again, to all that is everybody wants the education system to work. Yep. And so at a state policy level, I think it usually starts by looking at the current policy and figuring out what are we able to do within the policy that's here. And so, uh, in some cases, we can actually do what we want to do. I mean, it allows us to do that, and we're going to start to implement some of those strategies. And in some cases, it's a um, we actually can't move in that way because something blocks us. The, if it allows us to do that, I would say schools and teachers need to do that and actually start creating the case for why that's a good idea so that uh, legislators and policymakers can look at that and say, I like that. That makes value. I can actually see that. If it's something that actually impedes that work, I think teachers have an incredibly powerful voice with policymakers to go and say, I would like to do this with my students, this would be really beneficial to them, and yet, as the policy exists now, I'm not able to do that. And then there's a multi-tiered step that in general we see it go from policy that um, you know, allows you to do stuff to policy that encourages you to do stuff to policy that requires you to do stuff. And not everything actually goes through all those stages, but those are kind of the steps. And it makes very little sense to go from a zero or a problem to a mandate overnight. I mean, I think right. if you look through that, and if you guys are familiar with the, with the work in Maine, I mean, there was quite a few years where proficiency was allowed before it became a requirement to be done. Right. At, at a district level, um, there's always the consideration of what does the state policy require the district to do, which is a context in which it operates. Um, and then, uh, in some ways, it's almost easier because you can get uh, policymakers in the district to go visit the schools, see what's happening, and share that. I mean, your, your best advocates for a policy that makes sense are teachers and students demonstrating that it works. So when you work, so let me ask you a question. Do you guys work with multiple states at the state policy level? We do. So they're obviously going to be in different places. 
right? I think Maine is a little further ahead than, than many places around the country, but I also don't know what some of the other states are across the country, so not saying where Maine is, but what do you see for the, for the commonalities between the states that are really moving ahead? If that question makes sense. Um, maybe it's best to think about in terms of um, what are the what are some of the general pathways we see people states follow? Okay, yeah. And I think it's um, there's been a lot of work around graduation. Yeah. That's a high leverage policy area because it's um, it impacts at both the state level and a, and a local district level. Um, it's actually we would argue more of a leverage point than saying competency in general. So I don't actually know what you'd leverage that as opposed to graduation. That, kids have to demonstrate in order to graduate. So we see that happen a lot. That's the case in Maine, that's the case in New Hampshire, that's the case in Vermont, that's the case um, that's allowable policy in Connecticut, Rhode Island. Um, so that's a big piece that comes in there. Um, we see people quickly looking and saying, if you want to move just beyond competency, which really, competency in a pure definition doesn't expect kids to operate outside of school. It just says, here's what we want you to know and be able to do, and our system's designed around that. It really doesn't lead to personalization unless you're explicit about that. So we see states then moving into the whole idea of pathways and opening up pathways, mm -hmm. which raises a lot more issues than you might think because you know some mundane things like, uh, what about kids if they get hurt when they're on some internship? Oh, yeah. You know, what happens there? Where what are the insurance pieces? Transportation, particularly in rural areas. And so there, there are state policy issues that have to be seen there. Our requirements um, around seat time. And how we, cha how we change how the seat time requirements. How do you translate an internship into seat time? Yeah. Right. Um, and and if, if I would say there's one area that I'm a little concerned about we're seeing. It's really is a seat time question. Um, you know, I'm a little concerned that we've moved from, um, it's not about time, it's about learning, which I buy. But as we've done that, we've said time is irrelevant. And I would actually argue time is very relevant. You know, practice makes sense. Um, being in school makes sense. Engaging in learning makes sense. It just doesn't mean that you've actually learned. And so the, 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 the difference I would make is that time spent doesn't equate to actual learning. But time spent is a good thing. Right. And so, you know, that we've seen some local districts move to a policy where they say, we don't care about attendance. And I would argue, I think that's a mistake. I think kids being in school with kind, thoughtful, caring teachers is a good thing. Do you think that's uh, just evolving? Because, you know, we started and, and we talked about time being irrelevant. So we're like, okay, well, it doesn't really matter anymore. So you swing all of this way and realize, well, some of those things were good. So is it, it, do you see it coming back? Do you see that being a, a part of people's conversations? That no, attendance is important. No, there are such things as deadlines. Uh, all, a, a lot of that, that time well spent, you're absolutely right. Do, do you see that coming back? Well, I think you're right that it kind of, in some cases, it kind of swung to the extreme. Sure. Um, but I think in places where people are, are kind of purposefully thinking about what the implementation should look like, I think those those bigger questions are raised at the forefront and they're kind of working their way through them and so it's not really about like saying we're not going to have an attendance policy like there there will be an attendance policy 
and they're going to try to figure out what that means for how kids are demonstrating their learning. So if a student is going to be out of school demonstrating their learning, what does that look like for that student and what are the exceptions that we make to that policy? Um, and, and really that is personalizing their learning, right? right. Because it is going to be unique to every student and, and how you're going to meet their needs. I think it's a, a lot of the things that, that we do with personalized learning these days are a lot of great ideas and people jump onto them, mm -hmm. but not always take that next step. You just said, don't think it all the way through sometimes. And you, you live, you learn, you, you eventually realize, oh, that was a problem. Let's do this and, and not get rid of it, but it's kind of like that to, idea to, for that next step. Failing forward, right? Yeah, ab so, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's so you, exactly learn, you learn, you yeah. learn from, it might be a little bit of a failure, but you learn from it and then you try something, something different, a little bit of a new approach. Yeah. And those are models that we want to do with our kids anyway. Right. So it's always good to mask the adults modeling for the kids. This has been a fantastic conversation. We really appreciate it. Thank you so Glad much. Glad to join you both here. Thanks for having us. Yeah.